I want to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Over the last six weeks, as you're turning there, over the last six weeks, we've been preaching through this sermon series called Encounters, and we've been looking at the narratives of different men and women who have encountered Jesus. And most of these uh, stories that we've been reading from have been found in the Gospel of John, but every one of these individuals, much like us, all came to Jesus with different needs, different struggles, different circumstances, and various motivations. And every one of them, based on their response to Jesus, came away with a different result. Some of them, um, some of them were outcasts who found themselves to be friended. Some of them had secrets that were exposed. Others of them were sick people that were healed and found, uh, found healing through Jesus. The religious were challenged by Jesus, and even skeptics were saved by Jesus because of their encounter with him. But even though all of those, I guess, results are all inconsistent across the board based on the different narratives that we've looked at, one thing is consistent amongst all of those stories. It's that when someone encountered Jesus and when they responded to him, their lives were fundamentally changed. And so throughout this gospel of John, John has been giving us a picture of what it looks like to respond to Jesus. And every Jesus follower throughout history, um, at some point had to come to Jesus kind of a moment, right? Every one of you had a moment or maybe a season where you were investigating Christ and you were slowly, either slowly surrendering or in an instant you gave your life over to Jesus Christ. Do you remember that moment in your life? And hopefully as you reflect upon that moment, you look back and it brings back nothing but gratitude and a heart to worship God for how he has saved you. I remember that moment in my life, August 10th, 1988, I was 10 years old. I encountered Jesus for the very first time. And when you encountered Christ and Jesus said to you, to your spirit, come to me, follow me. In his irresistible invitation, it compelled you to see him for maybe the first time for who he really is, Lord and Savior, and you surrender to him. Folks, I got to ask you, can you name another person that would invite you into something throughout the, the course of your years that would transform your life as much as that invitation from Jesus would? Think about that. No other invitation would transform your life just quite the same as Jesus' invite transforms your life. Think about that invitation from Jesus to come. Name another person who would extend an invite that was so difficult that you would actually say yes to. You see, Christ's invitation to us has no equal in calling or consequence. We know it to be a difficult invitation. German pastor and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who gave his life for his faith in the 1930s in um, Nazi-controlled Germany, he once wrote this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die. Imagine anyone else extending that kind of an invitation to come and to die. An invitation that would lead to a life of self-sacrifice, maybe an invitation to suffering, an invitation to that would cause you to walk out of step with the world, that might cause you to be at odds with the world, an invitation that would require you to take up an instrument of death, a cross, and sacrifice yourself to, to, to walk away from your selfish desires and your ambitions and to maybe even give up your life. 
Who says yes to that kind of an invite? You see, the world tells us to promote yourself. It says preserve yourself. It says entertain yourself. And Jesus says slay yourself. That is a radical invitation. When Jesus says to, to us, come and follow me, that is what he is saying to us. So think about the absurdity of what you said yes to. If you stop and really consider what Jesus has invited each and every one of us into, it's lunacy that we would actually say yes. But here you are. You said yes to that invite. You said yes to that call. And guess what that makes you? A little bit of a lunatic, right? Like In this moment, I want you to turn to the, the person next to you. This is your moment to be a little bit irreverent toward them. I want you to look at them and say, you are a lunatic. <clears throat> It feels good, doesn't it? feels good to call other people names. But when you call them a name, you're getting a name called to yourself as well. But it's, it's a little bit crazy that Jesus would invite us into this life to follow him. And this is what he would invite us to. And we would say yes, because his invite is so compelling. His invitation is so irresistible. And each and every one of us that are Jesus followers at some point have said yes to that call. And Dallas Willard the great author and theologian, he once said this. He said, when we see Jesus for who he really is, we must either turn away or shamelessly adore him. And the sad reality of our day and throughout the course of history over the last several thousand years is that many have seen Jesus, many have encountered God and been invited into this relationship with him and they have simply turned away because it's too much because it's not what they want to sign up for, because the cost is too much for them to pay. And there are billions of people who have seen Jesus and just simply turned away. But then there are those of us who looked at Jesus and heard that invite, and we shamelessly signed up for that life. We shamelessly said, sign me up for that life that you have called me to. And in our text today, in John chapter 1, um, we're going to look at this, this story of Jesus inviting some of his disciples, and we're going to see the results of what it looks like to rightly respond to the invitation of Jesus, that call of Jesus. And these are going to be some of the fruits that we're going to find that those who are faithful to Christ, those who have said yes to the invitation, these are some of the fruits that we're going to see, and hopefully we see as, identi as identifiers of Christ's in our lives. We're going to look at these. And so for many of us, this is going to be a reminder that when I said yes to Jesus, this is what I signed up for. And maybe for some of you, maybe just a few of you, you're here and you're saying, man, Chris, I'm, I'm not quite sure I've ever surrendered my life to Jesus. I, you know, I've, I've been coming to church. I've been kind of checking things out. I've been curious. I've been investigating and I'm still not quite sold. I'm a little skeptical still. And I just, I've never given my life over to Jesus Christ. And if that be you this morning and you're still investigating the claims of Christ, I want to remind each of us and let each of us know that no matter where we are on our spiritual journey, we want to see how Jesus changes a person when a person says yes. And so if you've never given that yes or put that yes on the table to Jesus, hopefully this morning you'll hear a message that might inspire you to do so. And so, yeah, this morning we're going to look at three things that Jesus changes 
when we respond rightly to the call of Christ. And so turn in your Bibles, John chapter one, we're going to start reading in verse 35. I want to read through our text this morning, and then we're going to look at three points as to what Jesus changes and how he changes us when we rightly respond to him. Verse 35 says this, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus and he walked by and he said, behold, the lamb of God, the two disciples of John heard him say this and they followed Jesus and Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour, or about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two um, who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now, Philip, who was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, we have found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him kind of scoffingly, skeptically, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. And so here we see in this passage of scripture, we see a great invitation coming from Jesus, this rabbi from Galilee, this man from Nazareth, extending an invite to a few men and they respond rightly to Jesus. And this is what we see when they respond to him. And so if you have your programs, you can turn on the inside of your program. We've got some notes. Would love for you to fill in some blanks and jot some things down. Uh, We want you to walk out of here retaining as much as possible. And we know that retention a lot of times comes through not only hearing, but writing things down. So we want you to make it visual. Number one, the first thing that Jesus changes when when we respond to him is that Jesus changes your pursuits. Jesus changes your pursuits. And the question there is, what are you chasing after? Let's look back and we'll break down this passage like we always do. Verse 35 and 36, it says this. And the next day, again, John was standing with the two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The the two disciples heard him say this and they started to follow Jesus. So here is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is kind of a religious celebrity at this point early on in John's gospel. Many people believed him to be on the Mount Rushmore, if you will, of the prophets of Israel, right up there with Moses and Elijah 
and maybe even Isaiah. In fact, some people even wondered because he was such a phenomenal preacher, because he was so different from all the other so-called messiahs, that maybe John the baptizer, maybe this man was actually the messiah. And so John had a reputation as a religious icon. He was a social influencer of his day, and he had many disciples. He had large crowds that were following him before they ever followed Jesus. And they followed him because of his peculiar lifestyle and his provocative sermons. He was saying something that people had never heard before. And his sermons were fresh, and they were challenging, and they were hard to hear. And they got their toes stepped on every once in a while. And he was not afraid to call out those who were hypocritical. He was not afraid to call out the Romans. He was not afraid to call out the Pharisees. He was not afraid to call the average person into repentance. And so John gains this huge following of, of, of believers, if you will, But John knew who he was and who he was not. And I'm sure he had to fight his ego. Think about building your own empire. Think about having your own amount or level of fame. Imagine what that does to a person. John had to remind himself that if he did his job well, he would actually decrease so that another would come along and increase. And so I can just imagine John throughout his ministry daily having to remind himself at the height of his celebrity, at the height of his popularity, I know I am not, but I know I am. I know I am not, but I know I am. I know I am not, but I know I am. John knew he was not the Messiah. He knew that he was not the one that would take away the sins of the world, but he knew that great I am. In fact, he has an encounter with the great I am in these verses. Because in verse 35, he recognized the great I am, the one who is Jesus, and he says to his followers, he says, behold, he says, look, like lift up your eyes and look and see. Stop looking to me. I am not the one that you need to be following. I am just the way, the one who is paving the way. I am not the one who can save you from your sins. The Lamb of God is here. Behold, your eyes have seen the glory of the only begotten Son of God, and he is here. You want to talk about an ego check. This is John at the height of his fame saying, stop looking at me. Look to Jesus. He is the one and he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, understand this, that throughout Israel's history, the priests had been slaughtering lambs literally for thousands of years. It was a, it was a, it was very much a ritual. It was a part of their yearly rhythm that, that, that the, the high priests would slaughter lambs on behalf of the people in order to cover the sins of the people. On the day of atonement every year, literally hundreds and hundreds of lambs would be slain in order to cover the sins of the people. And they understood what it was for a lamb to be slain. And this was a part of their religious rhythm, if you will. And now John is saying, not another lamb has come, but the lamb, the lamb of God has come. This is the sacrifice. This is the one. This is the sacrifice that will end all other sacrifices. You will no longer have to go through the sacrificial system because Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of Israel, he is here. So stop pursuing me. And this is the one you need to follow. The people, man, they were used to lambs being slain, but they had really no reference at this point. Like it wasn't in their 
like their understanding. It wasn't in their theology or their doctrine to think about God being a lamb. And so this was completely unfamiliar to them. And John was saying that Jesus was this lamb. Now let's look at verse 37 into the first part of verse 38. It says this, the two disciples of John, they heard Jesus say that, or they heard John say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and he saw them and he said to them, What are you seeking? That's the question that Jesus asks these two disciples who are just kind of tagging along with them. Like, what are you after? What are you pursuing? Like, what do you want from me? Kind of thing. And then the second part of, of verse 38, it says this And they said back to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like these are, these are two guys, they're saying, Jesus, where are you headed? What are you after? We see something different about you. Can we come along? Like you ever had that shadow that just kind of followed you around? You ever had that person that just tagged along with you? Man, I remember in youth ministry, my wife used to give me such a hard time. We had this kid, his name was Brandon. And I was probably 23, 24 years old all the time. And Brandon was probably a, a seventh or an eighth grader. And that kid just followed me around everywhere. And I actually kind of thought it was cool because I thought, okay, man, I got my own little like disciple or whatever. He thinks I'm cool, even if nobody else does. And my wife was just so bugged by him. He was always tagging along. And I just imagine these two disciples, they're following Jesus like, Jesus, where are you going? Where, wherever you go, that's where we're going to go. Where are you staying tonight? Can we stay? You know, they're asking all these questions. They're kind of intruding into his daily life because their curiosity compelled them. And they just abandoned their rabbi, John the Baptist. Like, John the Baptist, as your rabbi, as your teacher, you could do a lot worse in those days than, than following him. And they just completely abandoned him. Like, John, we're out. See ya. We're going after this Jesus guy because, well, you told us to. They were chasing a better rabbi. And so I want you to understand that following a rabbi 2,000 years ago was a really big deal. It was a big commitment. It wasn't just this casual like commitment that you would make, like you would drop in on them once a week and see, hey, John, what are you up to? Or hey, Jesus, what are you up to? Or hey, Nicodemus, what are you up to? It was when you, when you follow a rabbi, when you sign up for that life, you are signing up for serious commitment. It was 100% commitment. And Jewish tradition tells us that to be a disciple of a rabbi or to take the yoke of a rabbi, it required four things. And uh, this is something that I learned learn new this week. The disciple of a rabbi must memorize his rabbi's words. Number two, a disciple must adopt the rabbi's unique interpretation of scripture. So we think about Jesus. We think about these disciples that followed him. And Jesus was definitely saying some things that were unique and different. And they had to buy into this. The disciples did. The disciple number three must Im imitate the rabbi's way of life. And then number four, the disciple must disciple the way that they themselves were discipled. Okay, so this is what these guys are signing up for. They're signing up for brand new pursuits, things that they have never done before, new ways of life. And all of these yokes, if you will, um, they're reflections of a disciple's willing submission and servitude to his chosen teacher. So Jesus knows the yoke that he is requiring of his followers. He knows what he is going to ask of them and he knows it's not an easy life. So he asks them again, what are you chasing after? What are you seeking? Because he wants to know, are you really all in? And this is the question that any one of us should be, should be asking ourselves when we think about signing up to follow Jesus. Am I up to this call? 
Have I considered the cost? Am I ready for what this life of following Christ will bring? What are the consequences of pursuing Christ? Have I run the numbers? Am I up for this? Can I, can I do this the rest of my life? Can I follow Jesus because I truly believe that he is Lord and Savior? This is the same question that Jesus asks us. What are you really chasing after this morning? What are you chasing after today? What quest are you on? Look at your checkbook. This is what I always tell people. You look at your checkbook. You look at your home screen. You look at your browsing history on your, on your phones. You look at your calendar. And those are the things that will be indicators of what you're really pursuing after. So what are you chasing after today? What are the things that are indicators in your life of what you are truly following and becoming a disciple of? Does your life reflect the yoke of Jesus? Has Christ changed your pursuits? That's the first thing he changes. The second thing is this. Jesus changes your identity. Jesus changes your identity. He asks the question, what is your name? Look at verse 40 in John chapter 1. It says this. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. Andrew, here's Andrew in this text. He's one of the two disciples who meet, um, he's one of the two disciples of John who immediately went out and found his brother Simon. You know, Andrew has this encounter with Jesus. He sees him to be different and unique and he sees him to be something worth following and immediately he goes and he finds his brother Simon and Jesus comes onto the scene and Simon comes onto the scene and they have an encounter together and Jesus immediately says, so you're Simon, son of John, huh? Well, I'm gonna call you Cephas from here on out which Cephas is Peter in, in um, Aramaic, all right? So, so this is a little bit, if you think about it, this is a little bit pretentious of Jesus, isn't it? Like it's a little bit, he's making some assumptions. He's doing some things that don't actually make a lot of sense societally. Like he's, it's, it's bad social etiquette because typically someone, you know, any of you have a nickname, you don't have to share it. Anybody have a nickname in here? Just raise your hand. Okay, I see, I see several hands going up. You've got a nickname. Typically, when you get a nickname, you, it's because you get it because you've earned it over the course of years because you have some sort of reputation. Or maybe in a pivotal moment of your life, someone sees something in you and they give you that name. It's pretty rare that some stranger off the street comes into your life and says, you know what? Your name is Stan, but from here on out, I'm going to call you this. They don't get that right to do that, but that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus does in this moment. He meets Peter, he meets Simon, he says, okay, from here on out, you're Peter. That's just the way it is. That's not typically how nicknames work, right? In fact, I heard a story of uh, Theodore Roosevelt, one of our presidents back in 1902, is when he first earned the nickname Teddy. He was on a hunting trip and he came across a captured bear. 
And Roosevelt refused because he was a man of integrity. He was a sportsman. He was like a man's man. He refused to shoot this bear because it was entangled, because it was, it was captured. He felt like it was unsportsmanlike, so he refused to shoot the bear. Well, the, the press caught wind of this story, and they caught wind of, of Roosevelt's compassion and his mercy that he showed this bear. And uh, a political cartoonist by the name of, of Clifford Berryman, he depicted Roosevelt in one of his cartoons sparing the bear, and this was where the teddy bear craze began. Many of you probably grew up with a teddy bear. Your kids or your grandkids grow up with teddy bears. This is where it all began, because in a pivotal moment of Theodore Roosevelt's life, he made a decision, and somebody saw that, and they defined it, and they started calling him Teddy because of his compassion, because he was soft, and he was cuddly, and he showed mercy. It's not an awful way to be remembered, is it? I mean, I've got a nickname that I really don't want to share with you because as soon as I say it, you're going to start calling me that and it's a little bit embarrassing. I I got it when I was probably in high school because of a cartoon about a bear that was on TV and uh, and it kind of goes with my name and that's all I'm going to give you because I'm not looking for that nickname to be revived. But, you know, Teddy is not an awful nickname, but think about this. Peter, which means rock which means unshakable, which means unmove, immovable. Like that's a strong nickname. And Jesus just says, here's your new name. Here's your new identity. And this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's giving Peter a prophetic glimpse into who he is going to become. Because when Peter encountered Christ, it changed everything about his life. It changed the entire course of his life. His identity would no longer be as Simon, struggling fisherman. Instead, he would fish for men. He would no longer be Simon, the man who speaks at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, sticking his foot in his mouth and messing everything up. In the future, Jesus would anoint his words and give him just the right words to say at just the right time when he needed to say it. And thousands would be converted to Christ because of his sermons. And we know that to be the case at Pentecost. This Peter who was at the time, unstable and, and, and always wavering in his faith would become eventually the stone upon which the church uh, of Jesus Christ would be built. He was the rock. And at this point in his life, he was not yet that. But what we know after 2,000 years of church history is that you cannot share the history of the church without mentioning Peter as a part of it. Folks, when you come to Jesus... You are no longer defined by the sins of your past. You're no longer defined by the mistakes that you once made. I read this quote this week in an online article. It said this, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Amen? Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Jesus knows who you were. He knows who you are, but he also knows who he is making you to be. He has transformed your identity. And as you conform to his image, he is changing you from the inside out. Folks, what are the names that have defined your past and your present? What are the decisions and the mistakes that you have made that stick to you like glue? that have haunted you for years, the reminders of who you once was, who you once were, and, and, and how, how big your mistakes were. Maybe, maybe those names in your mind are adulterer. Maybe it's liar. Maybe it's bitter. 
Maybe it's cheater. Maybe it's dishonest. Maybe it's a border. Maybe it's you fill in the blank. Those things that have haunted you from your past because of the mistakes that you once made. Folks, those are not the things that define you in Christ because in Christ, we are no longer defined by the mistakes of our past and the decisions that we once made. We are now children of God. We are adopted. We are redeemed. We are loved. We are friends of God. And as we're going to see here in just a few moments, just like Philip, who would become a disciple of Jesus, we are invited into a relationship with him. This is how God sees us when we are in Christ. In fact, look at verse 39, and then I want to jump over to verse 43. It says this, And Jesus said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now look over to verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. This is the theme that's rolling through this passage of Scripture. We see the come and see, come and follow. There's a, there, there's a constant um, reminder that Jesus invites us into relationship. And Jesus invited three men in this moment. Keep in mind, he invited three men to follow him. But the really cool thing, the fascinating thing, is that those three invites actually turned into six disciples, which tells you the power of his invitation, that sometimes Jesus gets a two-for-one deal because he's so compelling. Andrew, he gets invited to follow Jesus, and what does he immediately do? He goes and he finds his brother Simon, who is then Peter. John, who is um, long church history tells us that John is the other disciple in this moment. He is the other one invited with Andrew. John immediately goes and finds his brother James. And then there's Philip in verse 43. He goes and he finds Nathaniel. These men were all looking for purpose. They're looking for someone and something to believe in. So they forsake everything, everything that defined them, everything that they were known for. They leave all of that behind to follow this Jesus who is the Christ, to find a new way of life. They found a new identity because Jesus changed their identity. The third thing that changes when you rightly respond to Jesus is Jesus changes your direction. And he asks the question, will you follow? Folks, when you begin to follow Jesus, he radically changes the direction of your life. You're no longer living for selfish motivations and selfish ambition. The direction and the path that you were once on redirects. If any of you have ever used a GPS in your car or on your phone and you're going one direction toward one thing and you decide, hey, instead of going to, you know, the Golden Corral, I want to go to, you know, you know, Texas Roadhouse or something like that, you know, all of a sudden you type in, I want to go to Texas Roadhouse instead, it immediately changes your course. Like it does not wait it, 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 it remaps it for you. And everything is different because you choose to go to a different location. This is exactly what happens with Jesus. And we believe here at Crossroads that when, uh, man, when you say yes to Christ, it should fundamentally change the course and the direction of your life. We believe in five practices that we ask every one of our attenders and our members here at Crossroads to follow. And this is not just because Hey, we're crossroads and we're unique. We see these things in scripture. These are identifiers that you are truly, your life has changed and your direction and your pursuits have changed. We ask people to gather regularly for corporate worship, just like this on Sunday mornings. This is a a critical fundamental part of your discipleship. 
Jesus gathered. He would often go to the synagogue and he would worship when he was walking on this earth. Christians should crave corporate worship. Giving should be another identifier that our direction has changed. We have a Savior who gave everything for us out of generosity. And so if we're going to reflect our Savior, we should be generous as well with our giving. Serving is another thing that we ask of people. You know, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to lay his, da- his life down as a ransom for many. And so if Jesus was a servant, we need to be serving others. And there is tremendous value and fulfillment and satisfaction when we put ourselves secondary and put others first through serving. Fourthly, connecting in community. We want you to be a part, not of just a Sunday morning worship gathering, which can sometimes feel a little bit surface. Like you only get so many opportunities to connect on a Sunday morning, but we want you doing life together with other believers throughout the week. That means we want you in a, in a community, a Christian community throughout the week. And Jesus was in this type of a community. Of course, he had the crowds following him, but he always retreated back to the 12. And then beyond his 12, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. He had Christian community. And we want you to get connected in community because we all long to belong. And then share the gospel is the fifth thing. This is the fifth ask that we put on all of our attenders and members, that if Jesus has changed your life, and if that invitation was so compelling that if it overcomes you, that grace and that mercy overcomes you, you should also want to go and tell others and share the gospel with other people that are far from him. Those are the five things that we ask of all of our tenders and members. These are the directions that our life should start to take when Jesus comes in and invades it. And although Jesus doesn't expect any of us to be perfect at the very beginning of our relationship, your discipleship direction should be that people see less of you over the course of time and more of Christ in you over the course of time. And you've heard it said, man, God loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. What that means is that your life is going to be different. He is going to transform you. He's going to give you a new direction. And I love the story of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 when they have just finished preaching and they get arrested. They get brought before the, the high council of the Sadducees and they're questioning him. This council is frustrated because it's threatening their religion and their way of life. And they're trying to shut down Peter and John. And as the council listened to their defense, they didn't know what to do. And verse 13 in Acts chapter 4 says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter, right? Like, understand this. His identity is already changed because of Jesus. He is now bold Peter. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. That gives hope to you and me, doesn't it? Uneducated common men, they were astonished. And check this out. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Would anybody look at your life and say, she has been with Jesus? Does anybody see that fruit in your life that when you go about your days and make your decisions, that people see something different and peculiar in you? And I love, I love this story because moving on a little bit further, this life change, this direction change that Jesus brought to these disciples, they were so excited about it and passionate about it that they, that they couldn't not tell other people. Andrew, every time you see Andrew in the book of John, every time he's mentioned, guess what? He never preaches a sermon. Every time he's mentioned, 
He's bringing someone to Jesus, like come and see. And then we see Philip a little bit later on. He's so compelled by Jesus and this invite to follow him. He goes to his friend Nathaniel and he's like, Nathaniel, you got to come and see this Jesus guy. And Nathaniel's like, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? And, 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 and Philip's like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know how anything good comes out of Nazareth. All I'm telling you is just come and see. You've got to see this man named Jesus. They are compelled by his mercy and his teachings and his grace and the salvation that he offered. Their lives were made different. The direction was redirected. Folks, the way you work and the way you react and the way you parent and the way you fight and the way you invest and the way you forgive and the way you talk, all of these things should look different from the rest of the world because Jesus changes you and he changes your direction. And I love how the story ends with Nathaniel. I can only imagine that Nathaniel was going through one of life's pivotal moments right before he met Jesus. And he was under that tree, the Bible says, and I imagine that he was calling out to God and Jesus says, Nathaniel, even in that moment before Philip ever came along, I saw you. And Nathaniel must have known there's no way this man could be normal. He could not just be just a human. He must be something else because no one else was near me when I was under that tree, pouring my heart out to God. And in that moment, Nathaniel sees that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the King of Israel. And he confesses Jesus in that moment and he becomes a follower of his, rightly responding to Christ's invitation. So folks, as we close out this morning, I ask you today, have you responded to Jesus? Does your life, if you, if you said yes to that invite to a relationship with him, to the salvation that only he provides, however many years ago, however many weeks ago or days ago, it does not matter. Your life should begin to be changed in these ways. Are your pursuits changing? Has your identity noticeably started to change? Has your direction in life changed? There might be some of you here this morning that maybe one or two of you that are like, again, like I said early on in this sermon, I've never given my life over to Christ. And maybe I need to just have that moment where I surrender. Because I've been holding on to this too long. I've been trying to find my own way for too long. And clearly it's not working. What I would tell you is I would say this invitation to come to me that Jesus extends to each of us is the great invitation of a Savior to receive the rest that he provides. And for the rest of us to follow me, as Jesus said in that passage, it's an open invitation for you to give your life to him and to become like Christ. So today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you surrender to him? And if you want to make that decision today, to follow Christ. I want to invite you to find me after the service, find Josh after the service, find Mark Brun up here after the service. Have a conversation, ask some questions, investigate a little bit further, but don't walk out of this place until you have surrendered your life to Christ. It's the best decision, the most important decision you will ever make. And if you do make that decision in a private moment, the info card and the seat back in front of you, again, fill that out. Just let us know. Hey, today I prayed to receive Christ drop it off in the offering box. We'd love to celebrate with you. Believer, this morning, for you as we close out, today is the day to remember this is what Jesus called me to. This is how he should change me. Is my life reflecting that? Heavenly Father,